Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Eclipse. Today we're doing episode 9 and with me as always I have the DM, V. Hello. And yeah, today we're doing episode 9, The Rooms, which is uh, an hour and a half and there's a lot of stuff in there <laughs> and I already like f- uh, trimmed my notes a little bit to not make this episode super fucking long because I didn't want to have to split it up. So uh, there may be some outstanding questions, some things that the characters say that we don't address this time around and that is very much intentional. We're leaving something for future episodes. Yeah, when the episode started we were like, oh, it's an hour and a half. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oopsie doodle. Uh, yeah. So let me read the recap real quick. Oh, no. um, welcome back, adventurers, to the Lucky Die. Previously, Balance finds a metal key. Super metal key. Raljak is blinded by the lights and Sultana stands by her position as a woman of God. Having met Guardians and Claw, the trio hand over the keys and start the challenges to raise a, raise a hero. Who will be the first into the dark corridor? What twisted horrors await within? And will our criminals leave this dark place unscathed? I guess we're about to find out. Welcome back to the Lucky Die. As read by a younger version of Squash. (laughs) (laughs) Younger, more British version, I think. Uh I don't know. I don't know if I did any British at that. (laughs) I don't think so. It sounded so Squash to me. (laughs) Uh, 
Well, uh, the episode starts out pretty simply. Uh, we are faced with a corridor with three doors on the left, three doors on the right, and the door right in front of us, uh, yep. if, I if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And uh, th they start off uh, like kind of um, arguing within themselves, and uh, then they decide to like, <laughs> all right, we're gonna go for a door. And you say like, okay, yeah, they're like, we're gonna go for the door on the left. Can you describe it to me. The door is made of, and there's a good green. three second pause. <laughs> there is a green door, <laughs> and I don't yes. know why it cracked up, cracked me up so much. <laughs> Uh, that was me trying to figure out what's the most important point and what the door was made of, because all I had written down was green door, black door, and red door. I was like, what is the door? I'm like, Ooh. oh, no, it's made of... Oh, why did I start like that? <laughs> and then just have to start again. <laughs> Neil edited this for me. Neil did not edit this for her. Neil did not do this. Um, I think that's what I mentioned as a half joke in this. How much of this am I going to cut out? None is the answer. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, very late in the episode. Mm. Uh, there, there are a couple of jokes about that. Um, yeah, so we have uh, the team kind of arguing about the door, and I was kind of surprised. I had completely forgotten the the title "Lord of the Door" was not uh, proclaimed by our dear Sultana as she busts <laughs> down some doors. It was bestowed upon her by a man. I'm not going to say whimpering or cowering, but standing behind <laughs> her, at least. Yes. Uh, Master of the Doors, Lord of the Doors. Like, it, it's, a, it's a name that uh, has a murky origin, I guess. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, Balance kind of just uh, checks that title at Sultana and asks her to open the door for them. Mm -hmm. um, again, again, sticking to character of, like, not being the first person through the door, not being the person who yeah. leads from the front, rather leads from behind. So I'm glad that he keeps, like, sticking to his character. He definitely evolves out of this eventually, but it's good to see that he sticks with that. Like, it's a very difficult thing to roleplay, and I, I appreciate that he does that. Yeah. Uh, so they pass through the green door and inside the room, there's a pool of water with uh, stones in a circle, making a circle in the middle. And they get asked, uh, show me what peace is. Yep. Now, first question, how much mm -hmm. of that was planned? What, what are you thinking uh, when you're so DMing this? I actually have some pretty good notes back from this recording session uh, from the moment that oh. they entered the temple to uh, the end of the mirror visions uh, that's all one recorded session that's all one big block of notes and i actually have the notes about the green room because i think as i mentioned the uh, last beyond the eclipse um the the keys the rooms the positions they're all uh, like very tied together so i had to have them each by block um so i have <laughs> the, the block here for it um notes about the green room um they're all blinded by a DC-18 con check, which I think I forget. Um, and they are teleported to a large white space with a shaft of yellow light, each to express peace in a single action or single word. DC-16 slash... Sorry, DC-14 slash 16 for persuasion or performers or whatever they can get away with. Raging damage for those who fail. That's the only ha notes I have about this particular room. You did blind them when they entered the room. Uh, you did, mentioned like, the door opens check, and it blinds... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just blind them and you just goes like, oh, fantastic. I love being blinded by doors. This is my favorite new status effect. Yep. <laughs> uh, so um, you s tell the team like, yeah, like uh, what was the phrase? Show me what peace is. And uh, uh, Sultana kind of like uh, runs in there and starts praying to tear. And mm -hmm. 
I think this is not the first time you do it, but this is one of the earliest times you do it. You tell them to, like, tell me what role you're gonna use. Like, justify it to me. Uh, I think I mentioned in the last two episodes ago where that was the first one you do that to. Mm -hmm. And Casey is caught absolutely by surprise. And I think you did it to Casey last time, too. I think both times Casey's like, uh, (laughs) you're supposed to tell me what to roll, you fucker. Who's DMing who right now? Uh, Yeah, I think that's just partly A, because I'm kind of lazy, and B, like, it helps develop your character if you decide what this is and this is another one of those mm-hmm. beautiful puzzles that I write where I don't have a I don't have a I don't have a set way of winning this like the winning is just show me peace what does peace mean to you and your character what is this also I didn't want to have three yeah. rooms of combat so I was like oh fuck this so I need to do something a little bit more esoteric um, but yeah like the whole the, the, the space itself the ring of um uh, the ring of uh, stones, the water in it, like that's not in my notes at all. That came from the fact that someone reminded me that it was the waterfall uh, that was in there. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll use that. Um, and you know, I didn't have the voice in there. And then after we started got in there, I'm like, how am I going to tell them to do this? Oh, I have a beautiful ethereal voice. I don't. I didn't know who that was. If they were going to push it, I'd have to make it up. Because um, it was all improv. Mm. But yeah, that, that was just what it was. That was just my bare ass notes for that. Who are you, Mr. Voice? What's your name and what's your backstory? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I uh, will figure that out. Get back to me. <laughs> yeah, so we have Sultana pray to Tear to get themselves out of the room. And they just kind of evaporate and uh, kneel ever the pessimist. Oh, great. <laughs> she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beautiful. <laughs> um and then we have uh, Raoul, and I, 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 I'll admit, I don't remember exactly what he tries first. I think he's just trying to, like, find his Sen, and he fails yeah. and takes Radiant Damage, and he kind of stumbles at that point. And I was genuinely kind of taken aback that we're only on episode 9. You guys have been playing together for about 8 hours at this point, like, I'll give <laughs> you that. Um, but the interaction between Raoul and Balance at that moment are really, really good. I think that they bring out good in each other. I think Neil came to uh, Arch asking for help. Uh, like, yes. like, I think Neil opened up a thing for Arch to work in. And as Arch's character, Balance is supposed to be really sand, supposed to be very balanced, supposed to know how to meditate and all that good stuff. Uh, like, I think it gave... There's a little trick to elves, and it is the fact that they've had decades to do things that most races (laughs) only have a year to do. And I think it's kind of nice to see uh, somebody who had to spend 50 years to figure out how to fucking meditate on his own just kind of bestow some of that to uh, Raoul, who probably has, like, an idea and all the good, like, knows how to do it, but, like, just having a little bit of a guiding hand, somebody who has experience. Yeah, I was was really glad to see them roleplay together. Like, uh, I was very happy about it. A, that means that I can just sit back for a while and just listen to them and, like, you know, fill in the world as how they want it to be filled in. Um, but also, uh, it, yeah, it was just good to see the characters getting on together. Um, like, yeah. uh, I know you just mentioned that, you know, we'd only been role-playing in this podcast for about eight, maybe nine hours together. But, like, Neil, Arch mm-hmm. and I had already been on um, a former podcast and the four of us, including Casey, we'd already done some, like, weekend role-plays stuff together which we were streaming at the time so we'd actually all been role-playing together for quite a 
few a while at this point. It was just nice to see them just take the reins and go with it. And I'm really glad they took the direction that they did um, because it allowed me to drop some of those backstory memories, um, which, you know, obviously I didn't I didn't have this prepared when they started. Um, I love being able to drop that. Like, I know enough about both their past that I could drop in memories of Ama. I like being able to eventually when um, Rao gets to, you know, show his piece and be at peace when Lafian does the same, getting to show a bit more about Nimverna um, and mm-hmm. all of her character and her little like mischievous behaviour. Like that all that all comes from those two dropping like really good roleplay to start with, and it gives me time to come up with those when they decide to do it. Um, yeah, that I enjoyed those two roleplaying together a lot. Like I also like Sultana's directness. <laughs> oh, peace. Yeah, yeah, pretty tear. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's God, right? Yeah, God, yeah, God. God. Let's right? bring yeah, God, God. This. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I thought that. I thought that was pretty good. Um, yeah, and they, the Archant, uh, Arch, uh, Balance, and Raoul both kind of just find inner peace, just center yeah. themselves around their memories and their loved ones, and that's where they get out. And it's a, um, it's a simple little room. Um, and I, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said you can, I can't have three rooms of uh, fighting. Yep. Um, <laughs> you don't do riddles a lot. You, you're not a fan of structured puzzles like a riddle or something like that. Uh, no, because I am really bad at answering riddles anyway. I think setting them for someone else, if they come up with an idea different from what my own is, they may end up being like massive mm-hmm. arguments about it. And it does sometimes rely on the other person knowing the riddle being able to be good at riddles your character might be good at riddles yeah. but if I drop a riddle in there and you as the player can't solve it but your character would it just comes down to a dice roll and I don't find that particularly interesting either um, so I tend to do yeah. if I do verses or riddles and stuff it's more like warnings than huh how do you solve this riddle of and the answer is water like how how I'm, I'm shy at those um, I'm shy at writing those so I prefer to like f- do like warnings um, and stuff yeah, I, I get you. Uh, I know a lot of people love riddles and love having puzzles in their games, and I tip my hat to those who enjoy that stuff because it's not. Mm, I enjoy it, but I also get super frustrated when I'm playing like a intelligence twenty, wisdom twenty, uh, <laughs> yeah. like through it, and my character can't figure out the fucking puzzle. I'm sitting there like I'm stupid. My character is not stupid. Yeah, I, I'm going insane. And that, there's also some some puzzles and some layouts that just wouldn't work necessarily in an audio format Mm -hmm. like here are all of these things and if actually all these individual things and actually when you take a step back and look at them they make a bigger picture you can't you can't do that Mm -hmm. in audio like that just not a fucking thing Um, so you have to be a little bit careful on some of the puzzles I set so I try I I personally love anagrams I love doing that kind of stuff Um, I love hiding things in, in the background but I can't do that in an audio format that's just not doable so i just try and avoid those ones that rely a lot on on sites um and basic you know yeah like riddles and puzzles i just those are bad for me um the things i'm good and happy at don't work work well in a podcast so (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think the interaction between the characters were really good yeah. in that scene. And I think the, uh, like, just a little tip of the hat to Arch for his description of how Raoul was supposed to, like, what was it, like, feel the, the, the light reflecting of your skills and stuff like that. And I was just yeah. like, oh, it's actually, like, I, I, I don't know if somebody had used phrasing like that earlier in the episode or earlier in the session, but if not, like, tips of the hat to, like, Arch for good phrasing, good work, uh, like, vocabulary. Mm. Uh, vocabulary. Good, good job saying vocabulary. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then when the team exits the room, um, there's a tiny little interaction where Balance just kind of, like, Ral just kind of goes to Balance like, hey, th- thanks for that. Thanks for helping me a little bit there. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. It's the beginning of what we call friendship. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> And yeah, uh, once they're done with that, they move on to the room across the hall, uh, which you uh, affectionately med- uh, called the meditation room or the prayer room oh, or something so this like that? It's called the temple room, yeah. So the meditation room temple is the room, room they just left, um, which becomes okay. the unofficial official meeting room in the end. Um, every time they went into that room, I didn't want them to see the blinding white light again and have to do peace again to get out. No, like the room changes and it's just like <laughs> a room with tables and chairs and stuff. Um, but yeah, the room opposite being like the temple room um i made this room uh, obviously i'd made this like the the temple set out itself actually the temple fast and for seem to be mm-hmm. here's your challenge here's your reward here's your challenge here's your reward and to have the rewards be a place where they could make a base um being that the god has set this up so that you know if the great hero has to be brought back to life or reassembled there is clearly something going on and, you know, armies and lots and lots of people and logistics are going to be needed. So you're going to need things like, you know, temples for people to find their religious faith, no matter what de- uh, denomination mm. they are, for people to be able to train and make stuff, for people to be able to rest. Um, so that's why each of these puzzles had something that would unlock a bigger part of the base, uh, shall we say. And yeah, the temple room, I just always wanted to be fairly basic and something that would change with the the needs of the user, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then um, the characters enter the, the temple room and, yeah. of course, uh, Sultana, being the lord of the doors, uh, barges yes. in and sees the uh, shrine to <laughs> Tyr. Um, does a little prayer, leaves a little coin and then walks out. And then Arch is like, uh, you can hear Arch kind of like stumbling as he's like, wait, what is my god? What is happening? What, <laughs> what, what, what are we going to do here? Uh, I've never been, like, imagine my character as a religious character. They're very cerebral, so why would they have a god? Uh, so he kind of throws the ball at you, doesn't he? Yep, uh, that's fun. Um, I like the fact that Casey was like, I know what their god is already. I'm like, I think you're right. Um, I think Neil cut out a whole bit of me bringing out the handbook, flicking through, trying to find a god. So we're just riffing random shit. So I think a bunch of stuff gets cut out here. And then you hear, like, Ooh. I can hear, like, oh, and I've restarted there. Um, I don't think anyone else can really pick it up because I try to keep the same tone from before if I remember it. But yeah, there was a there was a definite moment of me looking through the handbook. And as I'm looking through the handbook, I'm like, all right, if they're asking me about Laffians, they're going to ask about Rouse too. So at the same time, I'm also looking for Rouse's potential god, um, someone who would oversee them i guess um if the worst came to the worst so release the yeah. uncut version release the uncut version no. i can hear but the yeah, cries like, <laughs> props to casey like i am i mentioned this before i'm kind of really shit at the, the whole like dnd law thing and the fact that i have players on board who are like oh, i know what god this would be i'm like all right i'm gonna go check it out yep 100 percent. we'll go with that option <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah so you end up dropping uh what was it okma on yeah, okma. Uh, balance because that, yeah, and uh, as, Ogma is the god of. Sorry, 
knowledge. Uh, it knowledge. kind of made, yeah, uh, it kind of made the most sense going through it. And um, Arch was like, this could be a plot point. I'm like, of course it's going to be a plot point. If you all make me do stuff, of course I'm going to be a plot point eventually. So yeah, um, and he he goes in, he sees the scrolls, he sees all the work and it's all, it's all good. Like that's a, I can play with this. And then he does something I don't expect, which is like leaving a small coin on the altar. And as he walks away, my brain is like, all right, this is the plot point. This is the blessing of Ogma. I know what this is going to be. And this still hasn't come up yet. <laughs> We're like 197, 198 episodes in recording and it still hasn't come up yet. There's a very specific means oh in which God. this will activate. The same way that um, Squash's blessing of Ilmata happened only under very specific circumstances. So he still has it i don't yeah. know if it'll ever be resolved i don't know if it will ever come up but if mm. uh, if it doesn't and we eventually do a wrap-up ama this will be one question i answer yes all right good good uh, blessing of akma somebody write that in 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 the ama <laughs> chat question uh, so, so uh. I, I i'm really bad at writing notes in game um as we're going through and mm-hmm. it's something i'm trying to get better at but i still suck i'm not gonna lie um at the very bottom of this like four page set of notes I have for this recording session, there are two lines, blessing of Ogma for um, balance. And then underneath in all caps, um, actually, I'll tell you when we get to that part. Remind me uh, when we get to the mirrors, what the second note is. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm reminded of a, like a, a meme with this, uh, like a God character going like, ah, I hope somebody was writing down that because I made it all up. <laughs> no, no, I have to leave now. I have to write this all, all this shit down because I'm not going to remember it tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> that meme uh, is me a lot, uh, mm. especially because I get asked random questions and I don't want to have to look through my notes necessarily or I haven't written down my thought processes for stuff. Um, so I'm like, I'll make it up and I'll deal with some of it later. And then I'm like, I have to write these notes down before I go to sleep. But of course, it's usually four or five in the morning when we're recording this. So yeah. the notes don't get written down. I just have to remember them. <laughs> no, really. Um, I'm... I'm, I'm... I'm very scared. I haven't DM'd in probably close to uh, a decade now. Blimey. And I'm very, very busy nowadays and have a lot of things occupying my mind. <laughs> Back when I used to DM a bunch, like I didn't have that much occupying my mind. I was just doing like be- like basic schoolwork and, or mm. basic work work. So I'm worried now because I love improving and making shit up on the spot. And I like, I have, like when I used to DM, I had sparse notes like you yeah. uh, mentioned that you do. I have a feeling that I'm going to be a shit DM today because <laughs> I'm not going to have the brain capacity to remember all the bullshit I, I, I make up. And I'm not good at making my own notes. I, I used to be really good at remembering the bits from session to session, especially like particular phrases. Like I would remember them, like the way that I described Odette's death, like the specific way of like a head cracking and whipping from one side to the other and crack i would remember those from session to session i wouldn't write them down and it's not anything i was like oh i rely on my memory like it's just something i did and i was just okay with that but now as i've gotten older it's much harder for me to retain that knowledge and i just go to these things like i don't remember doing this i don't remember what this means yeah. i don't know any of this so yeah it's gotten harder the older i've gotten i'm not gonna lie <laughs> so i'm gonna have to start making more notes <laughs> This is what it's only five gonna get harder. Years, I think since we started this, so it's been a while. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and then uh, once Balance has had his uh, Ogma revelation, we have uh, Ral enter the room. Yeah, and I was very entertained by this scene. <laughs> uh, the whole uh, there's a torture rack in front of you. I'm like, yeah, clearly it's gonna be, isn't it? <laughs> and you have. Um, uh, Raul back out of the room scared and 
to hear like you of course have to drop or like explain to the rest of the team like 100% like yeah that's uh, that's Illmater's symbolism yeah iconography and to hear the two of them motivate him to like to 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 like try to incentivize him to go back in was really fun like to hear the characters do it nobody was like "Ah, i pushed my like my character pushes him back in like my character tells him it's ill all of them are in character yeah yeah all the characters are in character and they're enticing him back they're bargaining with him to go back like sultana's like please please i i just want to see ilmater's iconography again like th- this means a lot to me that i'm traveling with somebody who prays to the same god as my my yeah. my girlfriend like my wife uh, <laughs> yeah and i i just it, it's a really good scene like I, i'm shocked there wasn't music underneath it that's all i'll say uh, there, there was a, there was music underneath. Uh, it wasn't underneath their role playing, but there was music in there. Because um, I have a note in here that the shift from dark, when we're talking about there being a rack in the room, to an explanation from Zoltana what this is, like the music shifts from dark to something light. Um, oh, what? Yeah, something really foreboding underneath that description, and it shifts to something uh, lighter. Because uh, I have a note in here: music shift from dark to light was glorious. Now, <laughs> I usually write down when music starts. I'm, 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 I'm disappointed in my notes. I may have pruned them too hard. <laughs> yeah, uh, I didn't know they'd gravitate so hard in this room. Um, I was. It's one of those things like, yeah, yeah. There's a temple room where people can pray there. Yada yada yada. But there was no yada yada yada. There was in depth. There was like, oh, holy shit, they. Ah, okay. And as we hear in the rest of the series, it does become a bit more of a thing. Um, (laughs) So yeah, it's one of those, like, I wasn't prepared for what they wanted to do in here. Um, Obviously, I didn't have things like blessings ready for them. I didn't 100% decide what the blessing was when I bestowed it. I had to write that down, like, I think three or four days later when I'd solidified in my mind exactly what it was. Um, So yeah, like, it's one of those, one of those like, oh, here's here's the the black and white cookie cutter character, and he's a really in depth like edge lord, and they look after the cookie cutter character. I'm like, all right, okay, cool. Uh, this is exactly one of those moments. <laughs> L- let me let me flesh out the gremlin that I made up randomly. <laughs> uh, let me flesh out the receptionist who just sits there and chews gum. Oh shit. <laughs> well, the receptionist is important. Um, <laughs> So they move on from just trying to explain to him and entice him back into the room. They try to teach him how to pray. Yeah. And we'll definitely get back on this note a little bit later, but it is very clear and Neil is good at uh, like communicating it. The dragonborns do not have gods. They do not pray. And yeah. I love that. That is so fucking like character. Like, uh, like it makes sense. Again, we get more into the dragonborn lore and say, uh, later, uh, mm-hmm. but... I I I love I love the little hint bits and tidbits of drops there. Yeah, and also the idea that they have no concept really of a proper afterlife, um, and we definitely get this mm-hmm. to a bit later on. But yeah, a lot of a lot of how the dragonborn are fleshed out really were days of conversation between Neil and I on, on, on Skype at the time, I think it was. Um, but a lot of actually what they ended up being just came out of Neil's improvising in the moment, um, his mm-hmm. his decision and what his character was doing. A lot of the Dragonborn come from that. Now, some of it, obviously, I have to countermand, but this is his experience of it. So I'm like, yeah, this is what you believe and feel, but this is not necessarily true. Um, and I try to always be upfront with him about it when that comes to that. Uh, but yeah, generally mm-hmm. speaking, almost all the Dragonborn just came from their culture and their ways a good portion of it came from Neil. So this is one of those examples. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to, like, it's not a direct quote, but it's basically what Neil said. Uh, I couldn't be pausing and playing a lot while making <laughs> the notes. That's a little rule I ha- I've made. Um, 
at the end, Neil says something along the lines of, um, he like he stops praying. What, what does he say? He's been told this is a positive experience, and he's trying to believe that. Yeah, he he's, said he's, something like that. Yeah, he basically says that he's believing what he's being told. That this is a good thing. Yes, uh, and I, I, it's something about the phrasing there, and like the character we've we've been introduced over the last eight episodes, this kind of negative beliefs, kind of in the bad of humanity and man, and just like the the, the yeah. basics of people just being a little bit cruel and selfish. And this time, he's just kind of like, yeah, I, I kind of want to believe what you guys are telling me, and it's a it's a huge hint towards his character's future goals and motivations. It's uh, it, later on we will get a a bit like a big old push from uh, from Raul about afterlives. And yeah, it's, it's a very cool one. It's a very cool one. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to mention about this room more? Nope. All right, then we'll move to the battle room. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> had to have if you have three rooms there has to be a fight in one of them and i yep. i like I, I i i was writing other notes i was thinking about the the motivations and things that had happened in the past room and then they go to the the red door and i'm not paying <laughs> as much attention i'm thinking about my notes and i just like they're in a room there's a rope circle and six armors i'm like what three. all right uh, three uh, no wasn't there six armors three really oh three armors. and, and, and the, <laughs> And they're just almost instantly in a fight. And it's just like, okay, yeah, okay. We're we're in this room now. Yep. Uh, My notes Uh, for the red room are as follows. A straight up fight between the group and an enchanted suit of armor. Armor, number, height point, number, plus three to attack. And certain amount of hammer damage. That's that's the notes I had for this room. <laughs> that's it. That's, I didn't know that's... there was gonna be a rope circle. I didn't know I didn't I didn't mean to say there were gonna be three suits of armor. My mouth just opened and out came three suits of armor. Um uh, yeah, I just knew this was just gonna be your basic standard fight with a lot of damage coming out from the the suit if uh if it was possible to lay it down. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it's a, it's a simple room. I will admit, though, there was a small part of me that was like, balance, you bitch. Uh, <laughs> when, like, through the, throughout this episode, you've been hearing Raul warm up to balance and trust his word and his wisdom a lot more. And mm. he's, like, guiding him. And then balance just goes like, Raul, why did you step into the circle? <laughs> and I'm like, motherfucker. Like, he's he's trying his best to, like, to trust you. And you're just like, ah, I'm not even going to tell you what's going to happen or what I think is going to happen. Why don't you just step into, the, step into the circle? It's like, ah, you, you fuck, you fuck. Yeah, yeah. This is also one of those little fuck-uppies from me where I was like, as soon as someone steps into to the circle the fight was just going to start and I just mm-hmm. completely missed that Zoltana had walked in there even though I think I'd made the joke about Zoltana having been in there my brain was like mm-hmm. yeah I know where everybody is I'm going to start the fight when this happens but I was probably distracted by something going on um, yeah. and I, I, my brain just didn't click in time so that was kind of my bad <laughs> Well, it happens, yeah. uh, and you you can absolutely hear the kind of stumbling and trying to figure it out uh, <laughs> as as you're like, all right, uh, wait, okay, so Raul, I need you to roll initiative, uh, <laughs> and then Balas is like, do I need to roll? It's like anybody not in the fight like doesn't really need to roll. Uh, so Raul, roll, and then Sultana's like, eh, I need to roll initiative. Too. <laughs> what are you in the? Okay, everybody, just roll initiative. Yeah, I, I had the yeah that <laughs> moment really solidified my brain. If there's initiative, make everyone roll, even if they're just, in it or just, not, because at yeah. some point someone will be like, I want to come and join the fight, and then you have to roll and get them involved. I'm like, oh, yeah. bollocks to it. So yeah, I think that that was definitely a solid moment in my brain of like, this you should learn from. Ding. I don't think I do 100, percent but uh, I'm pretty sure I do it from this point. Um, yeah, nobody is 100, percent but no. yes, that is like. Absolutely. Like if, if the 
there are two people having a duel, make everybody roll initiative. And then if people want to do mm-hmm. actions, they have to do it on their initiative or yep. have to prepare it or like just, yep. th- it, it's, it's always such a fucky. Yeah. So yeah, the fight is just what the fight is. Uh, plenty of damage laid out on all sides. Um, yeah. And then the fight is very rapidly over because as everyone knows, I'm not a huge fan of fights. Um, mm-hmm. And I, uh, at the end, like, you know, they, they have Ralph go in and get the coin or whatever it is. And at that point, I'm just messing with Neil. I hadn't uh-huh. intended to have two extra suits of armor in this room. I hadn't intended to have anything in this room. I just wrote down what I wrote. Um, so the idea that every time he moved, these statues or these suits of armor were watching him, it just made me laugh, making Neil, uh, sorry, making Ralph uncomfortable. So I just, I did that. That just made me laugh. So that's why I did it. There was no deeper meaning here. There was no other fight plan. It was just, that's what I was doing because it was fun. People ask if God could be real, why, like, why he's so sadistic. This is why, because it's fun to fuck with people. Uh, in the fight, there are two two notes I have. It is bring down the holy thunder exclamation mark exclamation yes. mark exclamation mark, and then just the stray crit that scared mm-hmm. the bejesus out of the team. Uh, yep. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, they they go and they pick up the red coin. Uh, Raul picks up the red coin, uh, and then they sprint out the door. And I just have a little note saying, "So many doors ajar" in quotation marks <laughs> because I think you say the door crosses ajar. The door, both doors down no, the, so like, the door hole opposite jar. becomes ajar when they defeat the creature. Um, yeah. So all the doors opposite are left slightly ajar whenever those doors are yeah. opened. Um, otherwise, they're all closed until the tasks are completed. And they decide to enter the room straight across. Uh, I, with just, I, I just want to say one thing about the Enchanted Armor Room. After I decided okay. there were going to be two more suits of armor, like I did with all the other rooms, I know what's in there now. Mm-hmm. Just nobody's mm-hmm. ever gone back into those rooms. <laughs> nobody's gone back into the Enchanted Armor Room? Uh, I think they went back into Enchanted Armor Room with big spoilers if you haven't got to the end of season one. Um, for Why Kaden. are you listening to this? Because <laughs> uh, yeah. it's a peaceful room. Um, but there are other things in that room that have yet to be interacted with. Um, they may not have purposes. Um, just Hmm. no one's gone back in there. And no one's got back into the death chair room either. Oh no, they did. They went back into the death chair room too. If you haven't reached the end of season one, spoilers. Um, (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) That's where they, they take the, oh my God, uh, the prisoner that was trying to assassinate Lafian. Um, yeah. Again, the death chair has a thing for it now, but nobody's sat in it. So, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so um, they leave the enchanted warrior room, the enchanted armor room, and they yeah. go across the room a hole into the blacksmith room. Now, almost nothing happens in this room. You're just kind of dropping, like, oh, there's like everything you need to make uh, armors. Yeah, everything you need, Ditch. like basically blacksmithing, herbalization, um, training room, basically whatever they'd need to prepare themselves or prepare their followers. It made sense that, mm-hmm. hey, if there's an army, they're going to need things like swords. If there's an army, they're going to need things like healing potions. So, And they're going to need to practice and train, and that's what this room is. I just smashed them both into the same into the same room um yeah. when i had originally conceived um like this particular falcon Faceum is actually a almost a direct rip from a previous game i played um where there were four things four doors because there were four people um uh. <laughs> and this room was actually in two um but when i reconfigured everything for tld for the podcast i was like no i'm gonna smash them both into the same room like it doesn't need yeah. to be separated i don't want to have a fourth thing happening here it just seems unnecessary 
necessary. So I'm just going to smash them into the same room and it kind of functions now. So that kind of, I think on reflection is better in the end. But yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing really happens here apart from them trying to see if they can forge and make potions. Like, nope, that's not, that's not what's here. It's just things, guys, just things. I was going to ask, like, you, you seem a little bit hesitant when people start talking about, like, using stuff for knowing blacksmithing. And I was wondering if you would have considered, like, if uh, Casey had just decided, like, nope, Sultana learned blacksmithing when she was a kid. 100%. V- that you wasn't in the over- notes. <laughs> like, no, nope, you cannot overwrite this. That wasn't in this the prep. Has- oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would, no, if someone had really come up with, like, a legitimate reason, like, hey, so I've done this and I would have done that and I think I would have mm-hmm. done this. If they come up with a legitimate thought process and reasoning, then, yeah. Um, however, we know that Lafian has spent the last 50 years in prison and before that was learning to become an inquisitor, learning to do mm-hmm. magic and learning how to do blacksmithing and learning how to do this and that. And that's like, you, the, you, mm-hmm. that's too, that's a jack of all trades and you're specifically yeah. focused on something. Sultana, again, they all would have had, um, challenges to convince me that this was the case, but if they'd done it, then sure, they could have used this mm-hmm. stuff and they can still learn how to use it. Um, so yeah, it's there. Uh, yeah, and then uh, they look around, and you kind of drop a hint that the armors and like the making of much of the items are from across the world. Yep. Uh, I, again, like this, this, this city was built before the really like cutting of the continents. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then they steal the ruby wand. Uh, <laughs> put that one in the memory bank for about 30 episodes uh, from now. The origin of the ruby encrusted wand. Yes. Um, I thought it was really sweet that Zoltana wanted to get something for Demi to look at. Like, hey, this might be interesting mm-hmm. for you. Um, this is a beautiful origin. And I'm like, all right, I will I will give you a wand and it has rubies on it. Nailed it. And I will mm-hmm. make that future V's problem. Um, or alternatively... Yeah. It's one of those like, oh, I can turn this into a lore dump if I want to. Yeah. Um, it is possible for like, for example, like, you know, if they'd given it to Demi. Demi could have seen it, read it, decided something about it. And I could have dropped mm-hmm. some sort of lore about the world or some sort of plot point. I could use this as a tool. But as it was, it didn't get dropped for ages and ages and ages. And I forgot where it came from. So when eventually she sees it, it's like, oh, it's cute and nice. And I love it. Um, <laughs> oh, hey, Squash, can you hold on to this? Because I ain't got an effing pocket. Um, like... It, it became something else because I had decided to use it as a tool uh, later on. Because obviously this isn't something I yeah. had planned. Um, I could have, no, no. but it, it wasn't. That's not the intent of this room. So, yeah. I get you. Uh, yeah, and I, I just thought that um, a, a more cynical player would have been annoyed that they're like in this room, they're looking around, and then one character goes like, mm, I want to get a gift for uh, <laughs> an NPC. And the game master goes, oh, there's a clearly valuable item Mm-mm. here. It's like... Hey, hey, hey. I made it very clear <laughs> that those rubies were yeah. not worth anything. Okay. Hmm. So the same way that industrial rubies and emeralds and sapphires aren't worth anything, they're just useful when you're doing like you know stuff in industry. Um, so yeah, that was just that's just what these are. <laughs> Alright. Uh yeah, and then they leave the blacksmith room, the the training room, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and. The they go to the black door. Yes, and uh, this room has now been uh, dubbed death chair room. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, they enter a room, and in it, there's just this like spooky looking throne. Um, yeah. How would you describe it? Uh, it's just a chair. It's just a basic ass chair with something like carved onto it. Um, 
Yeah. That that was it. Um, um, the 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 notes I had were: it is a small room, like all the rooms, uh, barely bigger than a closet. There is a single chair. The chair has one thing written upon it. The chair is for those already in my domain, and necrotic <laughs> damage for anyone who sits in it who isn't dead. And I decided to leave this open as to how they wanted to explore it, um, yeah. because the puzzle was: this is a chair for dead things. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was that was the puzzle. Like, just put something dead in there, uh, or you know, if you want to sit in there, you'll take necrotic damage, and then that's that's kind of it. Like, that was the puzzle: you is have to class get sit on it. Yeah, have something dead <sighs> sit in this chair, or someone something dead in this chair, and you would eventually get the, get the coin. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that Neil came up with an explanation, I'm like, all right, then that's why, that's what this is going to be. And it means that I can <laughs> drop something about his law if he's the one that thinks he should only sit in this chair because he's the closest to death. I'm like, that's a perfect explanation. Great, I can suddenly drop this whole new bunch of, bunch of law on him which I had mm-hmm. not prepped at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have some questions. Uh, before we move on from uh, on, on to Neil actually sitting on the chair, Raul sitting on the chair, I have a question about Monarch and Balance. Yes. So they, they're, they're making jokes about the chair. Sultana talks about the fact that like all of them are half dead because they got ha- hung, so they should sit with one butt cheek on it. It's like a that little bit of like joking. So and- <laughs> It's some joking and they're like kind of idea crafting. And then uh, Arch asks, hey, wouldn't Monarch technically count as that? Because he doesn't have a body. Like he is technically just a spirit. So he asks Monarch, hey, would you count as that? And Monarch replies something along the lines. And again, I do not have it verbatim. (laughs) I don't feel that. I may not have a body, but I could have control of one if I wanted to. Yes. And... I genuinely, I was shocked that you guys blazed over that because from my point of view, that was Monarch holding a gun going, try me, motherfucker, try uh, me. It kind of was. So Monarch could have, at you know, various points, taken over control of, of Laffian's body. And I think in one point he does, but to help him. Um, okay. At this point, Monarch was still a question mark as to whether he would be with or against them in the final fight that's coming. Um mm-hmm. So at this point, yeah, he still is a threat to Laffian. He still is a dark influence, shall we say. Um, So, yeah, like it is a he could take control if he wanted. Like he could just do it. I mean, he's sharing this body with you. He's had 5,000 years to figure out how to do this shit. Um, So, yeah, yeah, that's a possibility for him. But, yeah, it kind of kind of gets skipped over. But in my mind, uh, Monarch isn't dead. He's just a spirit that's moving on and on and on. Um, He hasn't he has yet to meet his specter, shall we say. Alright. Yeah, and then eventually uh Ral comes up with a conclusion. I have been closest to death, I should sit in a chair. Yep. And uh plops his uh, taily butt on the uh <laughs> chair and gets taken to sepia world. Yes. Where we finally meet the Spectre. Yes. Now um, first question. Yes. Just before we go anywhere else. Spectre. Yes. Uh, did you come up with this? Is this a reference? What um, are you thinking there? So I always had spectres in my notes, and I always knew that there would be death following Raljak around. Um, that's just something <laughs> I, I knew. I didn't know that they'd meet him so quickly. I didn't know that this would be the moment. Um, but yeah, the spectres have always kind of been in there. They've been the shepherds of the underworld, um, so to speak. And the idea specifically for the spectres came from... Um, um, a series called His Dark Materials by Paul something something 
<laughs> something. I forgot his name. Um, his Dark Materials, which has like um, a golden compass in it and the dark, the subtle knife and something, something else. Anyway, um, in that book, Lyra and the, the boy meet their death. And they meet their deaths. So they just go to the underworld and physically meet their death. And the death is like an old friend, somebody they know, someone who isn't scary, someone who shepherds them to the ferryman who then takes them onto the land of the dead. And I love that imagery so much. I love the idea that, you know, individual deaths exist for every person and that they are helpful and nice and kind in like the hardest moments so I decided that's what the spectres were going to be um, they were going to be along those lines except that not everybody has an individual death and that death has many clients shall we say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to call them reapers because you hear reapers all the time so I called them spectres there was nothing really more than that um, yeah so I decided yeah, that's... yeah if, if you called them reapers you would have had to license out seasons of fear the reaper by bluish <laughs> and that would have been a cheap joke <laughs> Um, so yeah, I kind of always knew it was there, but I didn't know that they'd interact with it this session. I didn't know that it was uh, like uh, the the Reaper was going to, sorry, the Spectre was going to, I've got it stuck in my head now, that the Spectre was mm-hmm. going to have spoken with Aima. Like I didn't know all those things were going to happen in this. I just wanted this, wanted to be able to use this as a good excuse to do a little bit more lore dumping, a little bit more interaction with yeah. the world. Um, yeah, and that came from me not sticking to put something dead in the chair. I like their explanation of what should be going in there so much. I'm like, no, I'm going to go with it. This is what the solution is. This gives me a chance to do something else. So that's what I went with. Oh, uh, yeah. fun fact, uh, uh, I don't know what that Spectre's voice sounds like. No idea. I still don't know. Neil put effects on it, and I, I've never gone back to listen to my recording of this episode because it makes no sense because it's just me talking as a local recording. I don't know what the original <laughs> voice is, which is why every single time I speak as the Spectre, it sounds something different on our end. You have been so close to death for a very, very long time. You intrigue me the way you keep putting it off. I have been following you because you should have died many times. You haven't. And I have been following you because not a lot of people get away from the spectres. I have no idea. That's because time is convoluted on this walking plane and the spectre lives many lifetimes in between meetings. Yes, and he has uh, many, many throat infections like currently. <laughs> okay, so that answers a bunch of questions I had for the specters, uh, but I'm gonna go through them a couple of them because I just want to hear the specific answers. Okay, yeah. Uh, the first one is that you say you f- you get the feeling you've known them for a long time, a friend you can't place, um, a friendly face. Um, did you mean for Ral to ever have seen his specter, or was this uh, more quoting? Because you almost literally just said that line or again earlier. Oh, um, yeah. I had always intended that he'd eventually meet his specter. Uh, no, no, no. Had he, without knowing, you deciding in the background of the backstory that at some point Ral had met his specter? No. But he didn't um, remember. Not, not really. Um, so he might have glimpsed okay. him, like, you know, through the death haze. He may have glimpsed a shadowy figure, but not mm-hmm. ever enough to have seen exactly what his specter looks like or to know that she definitely is a presence, a person, um, more mm-hmm. just like an ethereal thought. Um, so okay, I get you. I get you. Yeah, you basically answered that earlier. Like, uh, it, it, this is more what you want the specters to be, not that there was a special case in Rouse. 
Um, uh, then you run around, a couple of jokes are said f- to the specter, <laughs> I don't have a nine to five, blah, blah, blah. Yep. And then you drop the joke, there is no paperwork in this world or in this jo- line of work. And I, I instantly go like, you introduce the god of paperwork later. Like you, Yeah, so there's, there's a goddess of paperwork. Throw... There's a goddess of paperwork later on, but like the reaper, yeah. sorry, the spe- see, I'm stuck with reapers now. I've said it. There's a moment free. Not my fault. Sticking on making sure they're called spectres. Um, for making sure that the, the, the spectres themselves, they don't do paperwork. They just do what they're told. Like they don't fill in reports. That's Lathian's boss, uh, Lathian's spectres problem. Um, or not as it may now be. Um, <laughs> So yeah, there's no there's no real paperwork for them to do. It's like you get given like an assignment and you go do it. Um yeah, yeah. so there's no paperwork for them. And then the Reaper kinda um blase says the Spectre says in a kind of blase way, if you were anyone else, I would have surely reaped them where you sat. Yeah. Um again, like this is the necrotic damage that's the kind of yeah. thing you're referencing there. Yeah. Uh, um then at the end of that, uh, yeah, they they he returns to the real world. The team um, kind of <laughs> harasses Raoul until he actually tells them what happens. Yeah. Uh, Neil is keeping it really close to the chest, and the team's yep. like, "You're gonna tell us. You're gonna tell us everything." Fucker. Yep. Fuck. Neil, the ever helpful. Um, yeah. yeah, but I think that's Rao just trying to absorb what he's just seen because, yeah, like yeah. he's now had to confront the idea that there is a death that's not really a thing that he knew about. So this is all weirdly new for him. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, then they leave. They get the 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 black coin. Yep. And then they leave to the next room. I think. Yep. Uh, I, I want to. I want to. Mm-hmm. Want to mention that the interactivity after this just just makes me crack up a lot, um, which is Casey's uh, the broad you killed in such a deadpan delivery. Ooh, when yeah, yeah. Raoul mentions about having like that, his his spectre had mentioned Amor, um, and I just I don't know, it made mm-hmm. me laugh so much. Um, and the fact that they they rag on Raoul for being so ne- on Neil for being so negative mm-hmm. about Raoul and how Raoul mm-hmm. doesn't deserve Neil's negativity. I'm I'm dying. I'm just dying over the yeah. side. That that was actually kind of yeah. The, the interaction between the team at that point is very very entertaining. Uh, yeah, and then you uh, kind of leave that room and you go to the room across, which is the bunkers room, if I remember correctly. Yeah, the barracks. Yeah, yeah, the barracks. And I, I I am mad at myself right now because I don't remember exactly what the situation was. You you're trying to say the word integrate. Yeah, integrate. I still can't say. And, and uh, you stumble over it and you say intercrit. And yep. then you just stumble, stumble, stumble as you're trying to say something that looks very nice. Yep. And you just go, uh, it's very complicated patterns are there. Yes, and it's complex it's... and beautiful, which I think is intricate. I can't intricate. say it without stopping. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, I was like, fuck this, I'm moving on. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, you're describing the door that yep. the the coins go into. Yep. And then, in the most classic of D and D fashions, uh, the rooms, while they may not have specifically been tailored for each characters, the rooms now have a meaning to the players. But the players, in their ever <laughs> wisdom, didn't actually pick up the coins in the order that they now have decided. <laughs> so everybody's arguing over who has which uh, coin and who's gonna put which coin in. It is such a. I think 
think it ends up being described as a cutesy moment where they will swap coins like they're playing pogs yeah. um, yep. and they put the coins in at exactly the same. It is such a, it is a definitely a solid one of those D&D moments you have at home because nobody's listening to you guys <laughs> bicker about coin colours and who has what. It's so beautiful and I love it. It's one of those like, ah, it's just one of those yeah. nice moments. I love it. I love it so much. If this was like a written story, then like Balance would have picked up the green coin, Sultana yeah. would have picked up the red coin, and Ral would have picked up the black coin, and then they would all have symbolically taken their coin out, and you were supposed <laughs> to think about the coin and what they represent in the connection to the characters. Yep. But in, in, in reality, Ral has red and green, and Sultana has black, I think. It's just yep. like, oops. It's something ridiculous, like just fucking around, grabbing shit. It's like, yeah, that's how yeah. you know that this is an improvised game versus a well scripted drama because yeah it would have been the perfect moments like yeah yeah don't get me wrong the perfect moments are perfect but also just like ah it's not quite so real <laughs> yeah and they plunk the um, the coins into the the intercrit door and it slides open and we see the <laughs> don't give me that look uh, <laughs> they see the uh armor stand and the mirror in this room this is now known as the mirror room do you want me to uh, uh i have notes for the mirror room Yes. I, I see. I have pages. I have like a, a good page and a half of notes for the mirror room, but specifically describing Jeez. the mirror room. Mirror room. This will contain the empty armor stand and the mirror. When within the room, it goes dark and pale blue light fills the room. Fill my broken heart and I'll be stronger than ever, whispers from the armor stand. Then the image of a shield, a crown, a rapier, a hammer, and a chalice will appear on the stand before it all vanishes. As you may have noted, I said none of those things. Yes, because no, none of I, opened the door to the mirror room. I described a square room in an armor stand and then I stopped to contemplate for a second and then things happened. So I didn't. Players have no patience <laughs> for your contemplations for yes. integrate descriptions. Yes. So I scrapped all of that <laughs> and I had, to, I had to just roll with the punches. <laughs> but that's yes. the only description I have of that room because a lot of the description actually lies in... Um, my separate notes about the uh, uh, the the overall group that is kind of responsible for separate, separating and protecting all the individual pieces of Marnak and then putting them all back together. Um, so all my yeah. notes about those are kind of contained in those. But I just didn't really read them because I felt comfortable mm-hmm. enough about them. And then, yeah, you're not going to see the chalice. You don't need to know what that says right now. Um, so, yeah, that's why the room is square-ish I think when I first describe it and now it's a weird circular or hexagonal pattern I don't really remember <laughs> it's changed it's a mirror room like who cares um, it's, it's a changed slightly and that's why shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so yeah it's, it's a little different now but that's why the beginning of this sounds a little awkward because I kind of just stop reading my notes when things happen because I'm like that's more important let's just go with that I genuinely didn't pick up that you were stumbling at the description of the room but then again I may have been like a little bit too focused on other things yeah um, I, I can tell and I can hear it and I remember feeling it that when Zoltana walks in is when I actually start getting really nervous because I know what's coming up um, yeah. and my brain is like I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing some horrible things I'm gonna do some imaging I'm gonna be like freezing their characters in place and I genuinely just get really nervous because this is the big plot drop this is the big like yeah. kicking things in motion shit like the apocalypse starting that meant nothing to me this is where my brain focused of like this is the heavy shit so i start getting really nervous in this moment like they go in that room i'm like oh my god oh my god everything's on fire (laughs) well understandably so you are about to try to predict or tell the players the path that their characters are going to take if they don't uh, concentrate on their their decisions 
And that is really hard as a DM because we don't actually have control over their players and the world around them. Not at all. It more plays second fiddle to their actions. So you're. it, it is a very scary thing to do. It's one of the scariest things to do is to give a player a prophecy. Uh, yes. Because players are uh, notoriously big dicks about prophecies. <laughs> Unpredictable elements within a creative uh, environment. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, it's difficult, but I kind of just had to go from what I knew about the characters as they described the way that Mm -hmm. they kind of begin to describe them. And I'd also ask them what they thought, like, the kind of end goal for the character might be at that point, I think. Um, And I just had a good idea on what I knew, because I'd already known what the final, and I still know the final scene of what this will be, um, what the big fight looks like. So I know how they're roughly going to get there. And the joys of prophecies and visions, of course, is like, hey, it might not be real. It might not come true. You mm-hmm. might die, in which case, cool, then, you know, it's a, an unfulfilled prophecy. So I, I don't have too much worry about whether or not all the things come to light or all the things come true, because I was yeah. kind of, when I structured them, I had, this is a positive thing. This is a heavy negative thing that has either happened or is going to happen. And this at the end is hope. It is the idea that you're not alone and that things can get better. Or if mm-hmm. you like the path you took, then this can still be the ending, just in a slightly different way. Um, yeah. So I kind of began to structure them a bit like that. Um, and that's how I've structured Squash's mirror screen. That's how I structured Damas's mirror screen. It's how I structured, fuck you, Bucky, Pintor's mirror scene. Um, so I, I have, that's how I structure all of them. Um, all right. Um just a real quick, like, uh, before we get into the mirrors, because the mirrors are just going to lead into the end of the episode. Um, yeah. Balance goes over to the armor stand, and the armor stand is clearly enchanted to translate itself to whatever language you, like, most dearly hold to your chest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says, here rests Helia Slayer, or something yep. along those lines. Did that word Helia come from anywhere, or was that just gobbledygook? Uh, nope. So um, each of the six items is written in a different language. Um, six. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of the items is different, different language, constructed differently, does different things. Each thing written on there are basically variations of like, this belongs to Marnak. And, mm-hmm. and as we know, not every word translates literally one word for one word across different languages. So I used mm-hmm. that idea and being that, hey, like this is Marnik. He was known as the Shade Slayer. Slayer made mm-hmm. from shade. This is like, like you know, Lightbringer, whatever it is. Like they mm-hmm. are all different variations on the same thing. Some of them sound positive and some of them sound negative because that's actually who Marnik is. He is kind of both. Like he's a very strong, powerful person who does the overall greater good but the individual pieces may be a little bit murkier so each of the items have different names associated with Marnak and obviously he got the elven translation which is Halia Slayer which is um, from like one of those like online elven speaking uh, translator yeah, yeah. things so I, I think I'd put in there all of them in Shade Slayer I think is what I put all of them down as and then if it didn't make sense I just fucked with it until it sounded different do you do you have in your notes a uh, dragonborn version, dwarven version? Oh, let me have a look. I actually do. Look at that, people. Click. And she says he doesn't prep. Oh, no, but this is the difference between world prep and session prep. So my world prep is pretty fucking heavy. <laughs> uh, um. uh, yeah, hang on, let me just... <gasps> Relics, here we go. 
Okay, so um, because we've got them all now, and if you haven't caught up, you really shouldn't be listening. Um, <laughs> so the the Hammer of the Righteous um, was written in Celestial because it belongs to Kesa, and it's Sans Linea Shavasis, which is Shade of the Slayer. Um, the Rapier, which is called Rebecca, is the aspect of Dexterity. It's written in Orkish, and it's called Gretadesh, Slayer from the Slay- Slayer from the Shade. Um, the Clockwork Heart is written in Dwarvish, aspect of Constitution. The alternative name is Heth Karach, uh, Slayer of Shade. Um, the Chalice of the Orator is Charisma, and the alternative name for that is Darkstalker because it's written in Common. <laughs> Um, Crown of the Reluctant Ruler, which is the aspect of wisdom, which is Halia Slayer, Slayer Made of Shade, written in Elvish. And finally, there is the Sect of the Shield, which is knowledge, which is intellect, which is in the language of Inferno, of Sim Thith Dihechia, which is Shade Slayer. There you wow. go. That's all my wow. items. Wow. Well, so yeah, each I'm of the going... items has um, uh, an individual name that it will be known by, the language it was written in, or the people responsible for it. An aspect mm-hmm. of you know one of the six aspects that you have, uh, or attributes that you have on a character sheet, um, have an mm-hmm. alternative name of of like of Marnak, whatever he's known as. Um, any phrases associated, and the order of the sheltered, which is the order of the sheltered are the ones who actually look after the individual pieces and protect them, and are kind of supposed mm-hmm. to be responsible for bringing them back. Um, they also have descriptions with them. They also have special abilities written on them. And they also have a position on like the little like paper person that you put all the pieces mm-hmm. of armor on, like Dolly. Yeah. Um, they also have those linked to them. So I have a whole effing range for that for Monarch. I don't have it for Kells because I do not intend for anyone to ever know what Kells is not to are. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm just going to say this now. Uh, when a piece gets returned to the armor stand, we'll go into all the details of the piece. Um, yeah. I think that's a good point to go into it rather than trying right now to go through all the items. But thank yeah. you so much for reading that. That is really, really <laughs> cool to know. You're welcome. All right. Let's move on to the mirror. Oh, God. We're on our mark. Do you want to cut the episode? Nope. The, we'll just we'll just finish. Otherwise, we'll have to do, like, episode 9.5. Like, we could just do the episode. It's fine. <laughs> I know. I know. I was more meant as a heartache for anybody following along who really wants to know more of the mirror scenes. <laughs> um, so we start with Sultana's mirror scene. Yeah. Um, it starts so with describe- the hmm? DC for this is a wisdom 22. <laughs> okay. So nobody was going to make it except maybe Ral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said this difficult for a reason. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so we start the thing with um, Sultana being, uh, seeing a, like a version of Odat and Odat's life and then death. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has her neck snapped. Um, is this how Sultana died originally? Yeah, this is how Adet, um This is what Sultana sees Sultana, before sorry. Sultana is knocked unconscious. Um, mm-hmm. So her head whipping to the side and cracking, whipping to the side and cracking. Um, and that's all that Sultana sees of this before she herself is knocked unconscious. Mm-hmm. I added in that she was dragged away because I wanted to drop that point hey she's potentially still alive question mark um and i want to say props to neil through actually all the mirrors holy shit 
Um, yes. Starts off with this beautiful Adet and Zoltana theme, which I've spoken about before, and then it turns mm-hmm. into something darker and sinister. Um, yeah. Yeah. I made an. I made. I tried to make a mental note that whenever I portrayed Adet being killed or the last memory that Zoltana has of Adet is that I try to describe them in the same way. So it'd always be yeah. a whip and a head crack and a whip and a head crack, and that's the last they'd see. Um, I tried to make that the same. I don't know if I managed to nail it exactly, but that was my intention. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's why that starts with this. It starts off with a happy memory of them being together, and then the shit drops. Um, <laughs> yes. And then the, yeah, the I- question mark future continuing on with that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I had a little note that, like, basically you've answered. It is the uh, like you see Sultana get dragged away by a mysterious force or an unseen force. At this point, you had kind of decided that Sult- uh, Odette was somewhere. Yep, I already knew where she was. I already knew she was alive. I already knew who right. had captured her. I already known what the point of that was. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, from that, uh, Sultana sees herself become this like raging inferno of fire, uh, grabbing her great sword by her hand, and just starts slaying creatures indiscriminately. Yeah, uh, this is question. this is actually what yeah. happened. Um, she went, as you would expect, on a on a rampage of revenge and started hunting down the people who had been a part of that fight on the side of Honorino. Um, mm-hmm. There being um, a brother and a sister dwarf, I think there was an elf involved, and obviously Honorino, mm-hmm. um, and a halfling. There's a halfling involved. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, she went down that path of absolute so, anger and vengeance, and it just never stopped, only got, like, temporarily halted by going to prison. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I assumed that. You say, like, you describe, like, a, a, a female dwarf and a, and a male elf. And it's like, those are characters. You have names for those characters and why they were slain, don't you? Yep. All right. I'm not going to push on that. Some of them are in prison. That may, yeah, <laughs> Some that of them make it... have been killed. Some of them are still floating out wild in nature. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. There are, there I'm are not going to push on that because on uh, it hasn't come up yet in story. Yeah. Uh, exactly who these characters are and I would much rather that Sultana talks about it than we talk about it here behind the Yes, curtains. they may or may not be coming up soon in recording. Um, oh, we'll boy. See. oh boy. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, and you described that she's like swinging around this great sword. Uh, were you intending Kalimorn at this point? No, I hadn't intended Kalimorn until... Uh, I think it's after episode 12, I think, when they're leaving the city to go off and do the search for the sect of the shield for knowledge, the shield. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we take a break in recording. And then when we come back next time, I want them to have experienced like the celestials basically walking the earth and causing chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at that point I decided that there was going to be like a sword and it was going to be sentient. And I hadn't really decided anything beyond that. Um yeah, and then and then Calamon comes up, and as soon as I voice Calamon, I'm like, I know who has to voice this. That's got to be my friend Rethic. So, um, and that's were how. Were you just sitting? Were you just sitting there thinking what the classic like fantasy things are, and it's like, oh yeah, like a magical sword that like has a mind of its own. Ooh, these uh, are like, classic things. No, it actually came from reading up about Valkyries, um, like the Our Law for mm. Valkyries and the D and D Law for Valkyries, and whatever textbook I'd ripped the Valkyries stat block out of. I knew they had to be injured because otherwise they just nuke our poor level three or four players. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, like they have they have imbued in their swords the souls of great warriors. So that gave me the chance to have a sentient weapon. And I'm like, oh, I could use that and maybe someone could have this. Um, yeah, that's just... But we'll get a little bit more into Calamon and why he is the way he is if we ever get to that episode. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, yeah, we see Sultana just indiscriminately murder a bunch of people until the mirror is covered in blood and we can't see anything. And that's when her, like, there's like a little pinprick of light shining through and that's where her friends manage to pull themselves in there. And they help calm the fire uh, so that it doesn't burn as bright as, like, intense, as uh, uncontrollably as it is raging. Yeah, uncontrollably was really what I was going for. Um, Yeah. Like, she has a right to her vengeance. She has a right to her anger. Um, At this point, none of us knew she'd become the goddess of bloody vengeance, but Mm -hmm. um, that's the path she's just, we have basically, that's that's the path her character is taking. Um, That's the path her character naturally evolved into. Um, But at the point, I wanted it to be more controlled rather than just a blind lust for rage. Um, And that was the hope that her friends were going to give her, um, is that no longer running around in a blind, burning, blood-fueled rage where you can't see anything except blood, being a little bit smarter about it, I guess. Uh, that was my hope that I was trying to convey in his. The fire still burns in your eyes, but your body is made of embers. Is, yes. I think, almost the last thing you say. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and with that, we have that her companions are going to help uh, her get her, like, get what she wants, but in a more directed way. Yeah. In a more constructive way. I yeah. don't know. I, I don't know if you can call murder <laughs> constructive. Uh, well, uh, it is for Zatanna. Um, I... I <laughs> It's it's one of those like yeah coming to like craft this I was like I knew I knew kind of exactly what I wanted to do and I knew exactly mm-hmm. what I wanted it to say and I knew the iconography I wanted at the end I know I wanted everybody's mirror to end with the three of them standing looking back at whoever is looking at the mirror that's what I wanted and I managed yeah. to get that down eventually in this um, Zoltana's was the easiest for me to write because it is very yeah you have you have a righteous rage and you are fucking mm-hmm. deserving of it um, yeah so yeah that was. That was that was one of the easier ones to write. It was the one that came to my head very quickly, and I just wrote it all down. I think probably within a few minutes of having thought about it, I used to have a. I used to work pretty much exclusively out of my garage for a long time, so I was always next to my computer. It was one of those quick open up the notepad, type, 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 go back to what I'm actually supposed to be doing. <laughs> like it was one of those. Yeah, um, and uh, following that, following Sultana's uh, mirror scene, we go to Raoul. And Rouse is a little bit sparse compared to Sultana's, in my opinion. I I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, it's more straightforward. It's more direct. It has a lot less, um, what do I say? Like, verbose, uh, (laughs) like, violence. It's more (laughs) simple. It's more somber. It starts with uh, Rouse. For me, at least, is more emotional. Um, Yes. In in a different way that Zoltana's is emotional. Um, Angry, his is emotional, very, sad, emotional. Yeah. yeah, his is very heart emotional. This is very broken heart. Because obviously I knew from before we'd even hit record that Ra was going to be the centre of um, the cult of the brokenhearted. And I knew from <laughs> the start that Bogrim, that motherfucker, was the reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew why Ama had died and how close she'd gotten to the truth. Um, so yeah, the idea that the clockwork heart is there, I had to put that imagery in. I knew that I liked the idea of him being puppeted around by Bogrim, which is exactly what he mm-hmm. did, um, which is mm-hmm. why the hands are there, like why the, the, the strings are leading up to the hands above. Um, obviously, Ama had to be in it because that's his happy place, that's his happy start, um, and that's what we needed to have there. And yeah, the idea of breaking his heart like he's a puppet on a stage was just such beautiful imagery in my head I did not want to mess or fuss with that and that took a little while to come together but 
I, I, I was very happy with the way that his turned out. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have it start with uh, Ama standing before him, and then she like kind of bleeds away into a puddle of acid. Mm-hmm. Um, and before she bleeds away, you have her say, I'm so sorry, Raul, I should have told you. Yes. Uh, the cult, monarch, yes. the end of the world. Everything. Everything that she knew, she should have told him. Um, yeah. She was very cognizant of the fact that Raul... <sighs> Rao can sometimes react strongly to information and he didn't like the fact that she was constantly meddling with stuff anyway and -hmm. she didn't want to put him in danger Um, she knew that what she was doing was dangerous when she started to go down this like oh what's this what's this what is this happening here and her eventual suspicions about Bogrim like she didn't want to tell him yet in case she was wrong Um, she didn't want to tell him in case he got hurt um and as it was being, she should have told him. Uh, she told him he would not have been the sufferer. Um, it would have kind of nullified that already, and that's why she was sorry. Yeah. And then we have the string iconography. There are threats leading out of uh, Raoul up to the hand, and then the hand pulls on all the strings, then the strings rip him apart, exposing his heart. Yep. And he's plunged into a dark place, but then uh, two shadowy beings bring a beacon of light to help yep. him see his way. Yep, one was supposed and to be a white light of um, basically purifying hope, and the other was mm-hmm. supposed to be a very pale gold color, which is why I went with yellow, um, because it's supposed mm-hmm. to be bringing the light of his life back. Um, kind of, I was trying to purposely not go, and Ama will come back to you in the end. Like, I didn't yeah, want to yeah, yeah. say that out loud. I had to be really subtle with it. So that's why one of them brings um, the pale yellow mm-hmm. light. Um, one is of mm, healing, one subtle. is of Ama. That's good. Yeah, so... Um, and that's uh, Ralph's mirror scene. Um, yep. And then we have Balance wander over to the mirror and stare at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, all right. Let me tell you a small tale about Laffian's mirror. So uh, I wrote Laffian's mirror, mm, probably the second one that I wrote. And I was like, bam, okay. nailed it. Boom. 15 minutes before we started recording, I was having what I call a pee epiphany where you're taking a piss and suddenly everything becomes clear. And I saw in my head figures fighting on a check, uh, on a, on a chessboard. Mm-hmm. And I then saw like the mirror, I saw basically all the people dying, not all of them, but most of them dying and exploding in the same way. And I saw the rose gold crown and I saw that when I was peeing and I'm like, oh shit, I need to rewrite his, his mirror scene. So 15 minutes before we recorded, I rewrote the whole thing. I took literally every single information I had in there. I hit delete and I wrote his in 15 minutes. I'm like, boom, done. And that was partly why I was nervous because I hadn't had time to think over it and read over it. I was like, nope, this is the epiphany. I'm going for it now. Um, So yeah, um, but that was, yeah, I don't know what was originally in there. I can't find the notes because uh, Google Drive won't let me see back that far in my history. Um, <laughs> so it's only that set of notes in there. Um, I don't know what was originally in there, but I know that it was shit compared to what finally came out. And when I was actually um, describing this scene, despite the fact I had just written it like 15 minutes before we started recording, um, I had my mm-hmm. eyes closed through the whole thing as I was describing what I was seeing again. Um, and I did that for pretty much both of the others too. Um, even though I'd read the notes, even though I knew what I was kind of encompassing, 
not looking at the notes meant that I could describe a little bit more fully what I was seeing in my brain. So that's yeah. kind of how Laffians came about. And I I don't know, man, there's so much symbolism written into Laffians. Uh, Laffian is a very interesting character to me. Um, there's a lot of potential, uh, a lot of things for his character to grow about. And I try to fit as much in that there as I could possibly could. All right. Well, okay, let's start with the beginning of uh, Balance's mirror scene. Um, yeah. He starts by seeing the lead up to Ninverna's passing, yeah. and uh, which is very similar to everybody else's. Like, there's a lead up to whatever, like, spiraled them their life out of control. Mm-hmm. And my question is, then you follow it with everybody dying in the same way that Ninverna did. Yeah. What is there symbolism behind that, or is it just shocking iconography? Um, kind of both, to be honest. So he was obviously very guilty about what happened to Ninverna, but he knows he has that sort of power and he is very pissed at the people around him, the people got him into this situation. Um, clearly has parental issues, clearly has issues with the Queen, um, mm-hmm. clearly has issues with anyone that means he's been in prison and lost 50 years of his life. Um, so I kind of wanted to show that anger and obviously with him knowing he has the power to make people's head explode, I just wanted to put those together. Good. Good. That was a really good answer. Uh, uh, the, like, there's nothing wrong with just shocking imagery. Sometimes you just <laughs> want to do shocking things, but I'm yeah. glad there was more symbology behind that. Um, after following that, you have him receive the rose gold crown. Yep. Um, That's the crown it, of the reluctant ruler. That's actually what that is. Literally just that, the crown. Yeah, the crown he's been looking at his entire life. Yeah, the crown he, the uh, crown that his aunt has chosen to wear, even though it's not customarily worn by those of their lineage. It's chosen because it's an artifact of Marlach, and his yeah. aunt was controlled by Kells, and she found a way to subvert and crack that and have it within range of Dachin, when Dachin would eventually put together or nudge the people to put together the pieces of Marlach so they could have Marlach join their side. Uh, so he gets the crown and the crown starts turning his body to gold. Uh, mm-hmm. It gives him a sword, an army, and what looks like a thirst for blood. Um, yeah. My assumption here is clearly just power corrupts. Like, Yeah, uh, uh, power corrupts. Yeah. This is what he could become if he takes that crown, if he decides that's what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. But also, it's. I was trying to show that there are other forces working through that crown. Um, it's why at the end he yeah. can see his eyes and they're crying. The rest of his features are very different. They're not his. He's not wearing his yeah. face, somebody else's. And that is either Marnak or it was going to be Kells. Um, that was kind of, I wanted to drop that big, like, hey, there's something wrong with this crown. Don't, mm-hmm. guys, don't. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of why I wanted to do that. Yeah, you you uh, like the the sim uh, the the crown has a double influence. It's 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 both yeah. corrupting and literally magically corrupting. Yes. Um, and you have this like really beautiful uh, like description of his fade, face like contorted into a wicked smile as his eyes cry, but like his eyes really show the sadness. It's like yeah, this is this is good shit, good shit. Um, and then his companions come and they beat back his blows and push away the gold from his eyes and from his body and Mm -hmm. let him take control again and he can wield the crown without uh, without the 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 destructive nature of like the previous descriptions yeah and yeah so in 
all three of them, you have... So in the first one, you have the friends, like, quelling the fire and helping direct it. Mm-hmm. In the second one, you have the friends bring light to the darkness and help direct him. And in the third one, it's uh, friends come and, like, su- like in a, in a weird way, like, they support him and help him, like, take control. Yeah. It's a... It's a Really, really like well written. I, I I like all of them. I like them all a lot. I just and I wanted to really, especially with the friends turning up at the end. I really wanted to show that you can go certain paths alone, and maybe being the leader of all of this chaos is what you want in exactly that way. But things are often better when you have outside influences helping you or working with you or just making sure that you're not alone. Um, when yeah. I decided that this was going to be hope way back when I hung everyone and decided not to leave it on a shitty cliffhanger, um, I yeah, that really influenced how a lot of these mirror scenes came out. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Uh, two notes, first of all. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so the other note um, that I wrote at the bottom of these four pages of notes for the prep on this session was, um, in all caps, balance got a nat one, deal with it. Um, (laughs) so he got a natural one for doing his wisdom save um at this Mm -hmm. um at the at the mirror and as though we don't really punish nat ones um Mm -hmm. i wanted to do something with it because i wanted to be able to like show something cool so i could use that as a plot point to show history so that's why i wrote the nat one thing otherwise i'd forget that i had that idea in that moment um so there's that and this is the point where i personally feel and i everything Everything we've done so far had led up to this point of the mirrors, Mm. of showing them what this shit is, um, of how big the stakes truly are. This is where I feel the end of the introduction is over. Like, this is it. Yeah. This is is done. We're now in the game. We're now in the thing. Um, Boom. It's the end of season one. Yeah, this is the end of the first chapter, the prologue or whatever you want to call it. The, like, eight-hour introduction episode. Like, yeah, Yeah. this is for me. This is where I feel like we're starting the game. Um, And that's why I was kind of really nervous when we went into this room. Uh, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be the end. But yeah, for me, this is like, this is my hard, like, this is now where we start the game. Um, Yeah, I think that was, nope. Um, Other than that is, um, I wanted everyone to not feel alone. I wanted to uh, uh, hint at the fact that the three of them would make it to the end somehow. And then we had a mysterious fourth player turn up and ruin Uh. away prophecies. (laughs) Your prophecies are still fine. Luckily, I, I, I the mysterious fourth player is a sneaky little bitch that, yes, that uh, doesn't. Yes, that really make... helps. If you had been a flamboyant bard, there's no way to have written you out of that shit. I've been real <laughs> screwed. Um, but as it is, I'm lucky that my fourth player is a sneaky, sneaky rogue and can be hidden in the background. Um, I'm glad yeah. I didn't know at the time that we would have a sneaky thief because uh, turn up eventually because current me would have written subtle nods to their being a small figure wandering around in the background somewhere i would have made a nod (laughs) to it somewhere in some of those um which would have made better storytelling if you're reading this as a book or a tv like why didn't they foreshadow that um but i'm I'm glad i didn't know it at the time because it keeps it focused on on them and not like hinting the arrival of someone new um but as it is you are an unseen so i think your mirror scene i have to hint at there being other people and i have to change your subtly so yeah joy is good do you have any notes or anything that you feel like I didn't bring up? Uh, oh, yeah, the the death chair. Um, yeah. That comes from an image from a song called Virgin State of Mind by Kay's Choice, which is in the Buffy soundtrack. Um, 
there is a chair in my head on which I used to sit. I took a pencil and I wrote the following on it. Now there's a key. Yada, yada, yada. But that's why the death chair is what it is. <laughs> that's it. Okay. That's all I wanted to put in there. <laughs> It's, it's okay. It's okay. Like, thank you so much for adding that. Uh, anything else? No, nope, I think that's it for me. Yeah, uh, I want. I just want to make this note that, like, I have my uh, notes for this uh, episode, and they're like mostly times, just roughly where when it happens. Um, and my notes just stop being timed around fifty-five, which is when we uh, get to the Reaper and the mirrors, <laughs> and more than half of my notes are after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of icons and a lot of imagery in those mirror scenes. They're yeah. they're heavy. They are they're heavy. But I think some of the best stuff. Yeah, and with that, I think we come to a close. Unless there's something else you want to mention. Uh, I don't think so. Um, oh. No. Then uh, anything except thanking you for listening. I'm going to leave everything else to outro Athor, who I'm going to record in a couple of minutes. Uh, <laughs> do you have anything you want to say? Uh, I love you, outro Athor. You're doing uh, you're doing the God's work. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the ninth episode of uh, Beyond the Eclipse. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. The only thing you really notice is that this is an altar. And it's dedicated to Tia currently. It's an altar, and it's dedicated to Tia currently. <laughs> did I did I see it, the altar changing to Tia? Yes, you did, yeah. yeah. Zoltana, come out of the room for a moment. All right. She walks out of the room. Does it change it, back? It changes back to being completely blank. Balance takes a step in the room. What god is he more inclined to? I don't know. This was not something we really discussed. Oh, your choice now. Um, (laughs) I don't fucking know. Um, Agma. No. (laughs) Tiamat. Um. Okay. You know what? Why don't turn this into a plot hook? Maybe in the future. Pick something that you think the world would think uh, a god would be like, this guy is interesting. Because I don't think there are any gods of psionics or anything like that, so that's not really an option. Give me two seconds. I got the book. I just need to check his name. Uh huh. You're getting the thing that, is, I don't know. You're getting that asshole trickster god right now, is what's happening. Mask? <laughs> it's that what what the fuck is her name the the goddess of the spiders and shit Lolth god no yes Lolth no that's Lolth. A, Lolth. no Lolth would never pick balance because I'm not a drow but we all know you're you're secretly a spider what <laughs> I don't know forgot right, I just needed to check the name don't do not question me I I'm tired I make no Before sense for you as you walk in you see that. Trying to figure out how this works. Um, you see the blank altar. You see that it becomes carved, um, and it seems to carve itself into, especially around the edges, carve into that of scrolls. But there's nothing written upon these scrolls. The uh, the ornaments themselves are ink. They are quills, and they are blank parchments. 
That's very interesting. Uh, Balance is going to walk up to the altar. Can I also take take a religion check? check? Push me. 22. I got an 11 somehow. Uh, You wouldn't recognize this, unfortunately, Sultana, but Balance, you know this to be Ogma. Ah! Oh. All right. Which is the god See, of knowledge. See, I knew he was the perfect one for Valance. Yep. I knew who he was. I just needed to make sure the name. I also knew that I'd have trouble pronouncing it if it wasn't in front of my face. Hmm. So yes, you see Ogmas. That's a rather peculiar... Well, no, I suppose it makes sense in my sense, though I've never been one for religion. Well... Suppose I should take a look, and Balance is gonna uh, take a look at the altar itself, see if there's anything that stands out to him. Other than that, they are carved blank scrolls. There is nothing that really stands out here. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Balance is going to I don't want to say he does like a prayer or anything but he like closes his eyes does like a quick like mental nod I guess uh, to the altar and then leaves a gold coin on it okay and then walks out Uh, you walk out the altar returns to normal the gold coin disappears. Hmm. Raul, would you like to step in and find your god? Oh. Um. I'm actually rather curious. Please indulge me. Uh. Oh. Okay. Raul steps in. Bahamut. Bahamut. Kind of like tiptoes in. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you making me pick your gods? <laughs> no, Seriously, I'm not. You, hang on. You've not thought of which god you follow. Me? No. Yeah, you, come on. You think about everything about this goddamn character. You tell me you haven't considered what god they follow. Bahamut. Bahamut. I can't believe. I mean, I, I had one for balance, you don't, but I don't. No, I'm you the don't only one that's prepared. Just, just give him Bahamut. You don't have to give him shit. <laughs> well, you're stepped into this room. What god are you more aligned to? I'm not. <laughs> he probably doesn't even know any. It doesn't matter about you knowing. It's Is there a god of anxiety? To. <laughs> god of anxiety. Um, oh, I've got it. Uh, Bahamut. Okay, I'm putting my book on. It's gotta be Bahamut. You? No, this is just the... F- <laughs> I mean, keep, keep in mind, oh, Rolando, like not, people don't always pick their gods. In this kind of universe, the gods sometimes pick their people. Yes, but it's the one that you're more... <laughs> like, I feel like it's fair that Balance wouldn't know what god he really falls under domain-wise, because, like, he's not really religious. Yeah, you've not picked one, but this is the one that has picked you. Right. It's the one that you're more... In My goals are You would fall under, yeah. Right. Okay, I don't know if I want to pick the one that makes me giggle, or <laughs> pick the one that I think might be more appropriate. Character. Giggle. Tell me, giggle. Tell me what, what both of them are, and I'll look and see. I'll help. Oh, man. I'm putting that down. What? That my... Uh, God is apparently Ogma. 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 <laughs> Ogma. Okay. Um, 
All right, I will. <laughs> okay. There really doesn't have to be anything that shows up on this altar. So that absolutely know. does. Okay. Um, All right. It's the room, Rawl. It's magic. No, this is how the room okay. is magic. You walk into this room, and the altar itself turns... It turns into a rack, a torture rack. There is blood all over it. And there is a pair of white gloves bound with a red cord. Do I recognize that? (laughs) I'm going to do another religion check. Stop. No. Um, Balance, you can take a religion check. Zoltana, you don't need one. Why? Who is it? You know this. This god is Ilmater. Ilmater is the god of endurance and self-sacrifice. You know this because this is the god that Adet followed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.